I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome back to your favorite boxing podcast. Yeah, today we're going to be discussing Connor Ben and Chris Eubank Jr. and when it will happen. I'll be telling you all about my trip to Dublin, which saw Katie Taylor reign supreme in her second homecoming bout. And we'll be hearing from John Fury, who reckons we will see a different Tyson next time out. I'm Charlotte Daly. I'm Alex McCarthy. And this is The Hook. Finally, Conor Ben, Chris Eubank Jr. could be announced this Week. That's right, Riaf Al Samurai, our reporter, he was the man that broke the news about Conor Ben failing the drugs test that postponed, well, it cancelled in actual fact, the fight last October. And now he's breaking the news again that we can expect the fight on February 3rd at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Conor Ben, Chris Eubank Jr. is on. Riaf's been at it again. Charlotte, what do we think? Finally, we're getting it announced. Yeah, I feel like we've been talking about this one for so long and it's been back and forth whether it will happen, whether it won't happen. And it is now looking to go ahead on February 3rd at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Um, Yet to be seen whether we will actually get it then, but it looks like Ben has actually now confirmed the news on Twitter during a little spout with Chris Eubank Jr. Did did you see that? Yeah, inadvertently dropped the news probably. Um, (laughs) They were going back and forth with the usual tirades of I'm going to leave you splattered on the canvas and all of this good stuff. Ben promising to finish Eubank Jr.'s career on February 3rd. So if there was some credence to be lent to Riaf's report, there it is right there from Connor (laughs) Ben himself. Um, What has been... The hold-up for this fight, I think, is a question a lot of people have been asking about. Now, the obvious answer being Conor Ben's drug issues. Um, Hearn has remained steadfast that Ben would be fighting again. He's had a comeback fight since, which, ironically, his opponent has also failed a drugs test after the fact. Um, Well, it was done before the fight, but the results take time. So it turns out that he'd failed as well. Um... But they've been trying to make it for a while, haven't they, Charlotte? They've been looking at different countries, maybe easier for Conor Ben to box abroad with the British Border Control, British Boxing Border Control, sorry, not granting him a British boxing licence just yet. Um, he has been... He's, he hasn't been cleared, that would be the wrong word, but uh, the drug tests are not being held over him by some of the commissions, right? Like, he has been excused in some ways... Where are we at, do you think, like, in terms of why 
this fight has taken so long to come to pass? Yeah, I think there's so many factors to look at when you think about putting on a fight like this. Now, last time I spoke to Eddie Hearn, he was saying that there was a few stumbling blocks that they needed to get over. He said that, you know, it's that typical thing of who walks first and who comes out first. That was a big sticking block for the two of them. He said that all the terms were pretty much agreed on their side for Connor Ben. There was a few things that they needed to iron out with Chris Eubank Jr., which he said he was very confident that they would get over the line in the next couple of days, which we now subsequently think will be sorted this week for an announcement. Um, as you mentioned there, the main sticking point was where the fight would take place because of this issue with the Boxing Board of Control. Um, now, UK anti-doping are pursuing an appeal against um, the results and the verdict that came out supporting Connor Ben. So it's an interesting one because Ben's promoters, Matchroom, have approached the board to request that they sanction this fight between Connor Ben and Chris Eubank Jr. But it's a difficult one because of this appeal. And when I spoke to Eddie about the appeal, he said that, you know, they haven't had a date for the appeal. They haven't been told how long the appeal is going to take, anything like that. So that's why they're going ahead and pursuing this fight and trying to get it over the line. Now, if the board don't sanction it, there are alternatives to still make the fight happen in the UK. It could be very similar to the David Hay and Derek Chisora situation that we saw in, I think that was 2012, when um, they were set to fight each other, but then it got blocked by the Boxing Board of Control because the pair were involved in a physical altercation at a um, press conference before the fight. Now, they decided to go to the Luxembourg Boxing Federation to sanction the fight in London instead, and it went ahead as planned. So we could see a similar circumstance with the Ben Eubank fight because when Ben first tested positive, um, Matchroom are said to have tried to continue to put the fight on and they actually reached out to the likes of the Luxembourg um, Boxing Federation to see if they would sanction the fight. So it remains to be seen how the fight will be sanctioned. Um, that is one of the things that I think they're still working on at the moment, but it's believed they will get it over the line and February 3rd will be the date in hopefully the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. I think Hearn has been very open about the fact that he tried to get it in Abu Dhabi. That was that was a leading contender at one point, and they're exploring options abroad. Um, you know, the findings of Conor Ben was just that he ate a lot of eggs. Apparently, that that <laughs> that, that was the defence essentially. Um, and when you look at this is, let's, let's just quickly talk about actually the history of the fight and why it's big in the first place. For those who don't know, their fathers had one of the most iconic British rivalries in recent memory, right? Nigel Benn and Chris Eubank Sr. Um, Chris Eubank Sr. is dead against this fight, it's worth mentioning, right? It's going to be held at £157. That's about £10 above what Ben usually weighs, and it means Eubank Jr. coming down a fair bit. Um... <sighs> It's it's one of them where there's 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 been so much going against it <laughs> the whole time, <laughs> but if you are going to have it on for a fight like this, it has such great British interest and heritage. It always had to be in Britain. Like it would be absurd to take that anywhere else, would it not? Like in what would you make the British fans travel to Abu Dhabi to to watch 
one of the iconic British rivalries seems incredibly backwards and is probably a good indicator you shouldn't have put the fight on in the first place if you have to jump through so many hoops to get it on. Um, but the news that it will be at Spurs on February 3rd is a very good sign. Um, they obviously believe that all the things will be in place to make it happen. And I firmly believe that will be a sellout fight as well. It, it, a lot has happened that has ta- you know, to put some mud on the idea, if that makes sense, right? Like it's not as as interesting and as exciting as it was before, perhaps, but it still is one of the biggest British fights we've got. Yeah, definitely. And that was one of the things that Eddie Hearn kept saying was he was like, I don't want this fight to be abroad. I want to give it to the British fans in the UK. Now, you touched on it there about what actually went on behind the scenes and how this all came about. Now, it was clomiphene that was found in um, Ben's samples. For those of you that don't know, potentially, that is a women's fertility drug and it can bo- it can boost testosterone in men. Um, and raising testosterone in men can alternatively lead to like lean muscle growth it can also help with the production of red blood cells so that can help with you know fitness levels and things like that endurance which is obviously really important in a fight like this um he tested positive through urine samples which we know to begin with and he ultimately as you mentioned earlier blamed that on eggs so when that first came out everyone was thinking what on earth? You know, that's the biggest load of rubbish I've ever heard, sort of thing. It, and I'm saying not he was having about 30 eggs a day. It was something like that, wasn't it? <laughs> it was something like that. It's a lot of eggs. Yeah. But I mean, I like eggs, them. but come on. <laughs> um, but that is not unheard of, though. There is many different foods that can actually cause a positive drugs test. I mean, just take poppy seeds, for example. They're one thing that you're told to avoid because they can actually test positive for opioids they can test positive for you know you can look like you've been having heroin or things like that within your samples because of these foods you know you've got the same with meats that it can happen so it's not unheard of um but yeah people were a bit surprised thinking that he was clutching at straws here but i mean ultimately he was proven innocent i know the appeals now come into place but but that was that was what he had put it down as there's no doubt that Eddie Hearn has tried and tried and persisted to get this fight on. Can't deny that he's done everything that he can do. I um, mean, he's finally going to get his wish for what will undoubtedly be one of the biggest fights Matchroom will put on this year or in the coming years. Um, looking at the comments from Riaf's exclusive that dropped yesterday online. Make sure you check out all of our boxing content on there too. Nice quick plug. Um, Ian Brown said, not sure there is appetite for this fight anymore. I do understand what he's saying, Charlotte. You know, like just as I said earlier, when Ben's name is, it's in the process of being cleared rather than cleared. So there's still some mud that is stuck there. Um, I can understand why people think this is a bit of a reach to put this on at this at this time. Yeah, I understand that. But I think the appetite's still there. I really want to see I it. Of course see I want to see it. Um I actually spoke to Connor Ben about this and I asked him about how he was feeling that his name will always be associated with this drug scandal now. And he said that mentally he really struggled with the fact that that's what he's going to be tied to, that no matter what he achieves, no matter what he goes on to do or what he's already done, that people are always going to remember this moment and tie that to his name. And I think 
let's say it is because of eggs his 30 a day or whatever you said it was mm, um, 30 to 40 that's really way, hard that's that's really hard to take as an athlete that no matter what you achieve you're always going to be tied to something that you are potentially innocent for stassi berlin cannot wait for the fight but to stage it outdoors in february is ridiculous i do have some experience at spurs uh, i went to a didustic and joshua one from ringside at Spurs Stadium. That was in late September, and it was freezing. That was really cold when the you know the sun goes in and and it's the proper nighttime. I was praying on AJ's fire, fireworks to keep me warm. Basically, I was waiting for his entrance. Um, you, I think you've had it even worse than that, though. I mean, this is going to be February. Yeah, I mean, I did um, Lawrence Coley, Chris Billum Smith in May outside at Bournemouth, and I was still cold. So I'm, I'm actually a little bit scared for this one. But yeah. I mean, I Bournemouth, Bournemouth in May sounds good by comparison, doesn't <laughs> yeah, it? Yeah, sounds good. <laughs> sounds good. But wait till you're there and you experience it. I can tell you, it was not warm. Even Chris Billum Smith had fleece lining in his jackets because it was so cold. So yeah, I'm. I'll be interested to see how this one goes down in February. Bournemouth born and bred. He knew. He knew. He should have gave us the heads up. To be honest. <laughs> Uh, more yeah. more for you, Chris Billum-Smith. Uh, well, that is a fight that's coming up. I think we should start talking about a fight that we just saw between Katie Taylor and Chantel Cameron. Yes, Taylor and Cameron renewed their rivalry in Dublin last week. The second homecoming, as Charlotte alluded to earlier, for Taylor. The redemption, the revenge. But the climate in Dublin wasn't so happy-go-lucky let's see Taylor get the business done. Uh, unfortunately, it was marred by by riots on the Thursday, which of course is peak fight week. Uh, three children and a care assistant were stabbed outside of a primary school, which led to wide rioting in Dublin, you know, vandalism, looting, the whole nine yards. Um, Conor McGregor, of course, has had a lot to say in the days after that as well, talking about immigration and their rights to vote within Ireland, etc., etc. It's a very complex and serious issue that's going on in that country at the moment. Charlotte, you and I are both of Irish descent, which is, it's not nice to see what's transpired over there. I have to feel sorry for you, though, being in the thick of it, trying to do your job too. Yeah, it really wasn't the build-up to a fight I was expecting, um, that's for sure. Now, we were in central Dublin doing all the press events when kind of the violent scenes broke out. There were about 500 people rioting on that Thursday, um, armed with metal bars and covering their faces and stuff. Um, Police cars were set alight, trams were set alight, there were buses on fire, um, the whole city locked down. So as you said, I my family's Irish and I was actually staying with them that week just outside of the city centre. I almost couldn't get back to where I was staying because there was no taxis in or out. All the buses were not running because people were setting them on fire. The trains weren't working. Um, so yeah, it was quite a scary time, to be honest. Um, really, really sad events. But Katie Taylor did provide that moment of solace for the fans and was that shining light for the Irish um, supporters by getting the victory over Chantal Cameron and a time where I think the Irish fans needed something to smile about because of what was going on in the week. Yeah, well, I'm glad you had your family there, right, to find solace in such a situation like that. That's At least you had that. Um, not great scenes and it did 
kind of cloud the atmosphere. I think, is that fair to say, during fight week? Like, it certainly looked like Eddie Hearn was wearing the issues on his face as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think the fight week in general was a completely different experience to last time around. Even before the riots, which began on the Thursday, running up, I, I arrived on the Tuesday. And it just felt like there was a nervous energy within the air that, you know, the Irish fans obviously wanted Katie Taylor to win the fight, but there wasn't the same buzz around the city that there was last time around. And um, of course, the open workout on Wednesday, fans turned up for Katie Taylor, screaming her name, chanting, everything like that. But Katie had a very different game plan in terms of the build up to the fight. Now, she wasn't doing her media commitments that she normally does. Um, Typically, on a fight week, the boxers will do one-to-ones with the media. They'll sit down for a round table for the national newspapers. Katie didn't do any of those because she wanted to keep her mindset focused on the fight. Um, you know, even at the open workout, fans were screaming, asking for autographs and signatures and things like that. And her coach was saying to her, nope, Katie, get out. You know, we don't want you spending hours like she did at the first fight, signing autographs and you know, taking her focus away from the fight. So it was definitely a different atmosphere. And then the riots, of course, on the Thursday, there was a lot of events that were planned to build up the event and create that hype. And, you know, I joked with you last time about that forged Irish style party I was going to. (laughs) That got cancelled. Everything that was around the event to bring that energy had to be cancelled because of the circumstances. So, you know, we went into Saturday night a little bit flat, I would say. And it wasn't until Thomas Carty took to the ring and won and kind of started that domino effect of Irish fighters winning that the energy inside the arena picked up and it ended up being one of the best atmospheres. But it took some time to get there. Yeah, I mean, the fight itself obviously took all of our thoughts away from anything else because it was so compelling and gripping what a war that was waged between Taylor and Cameron for the second time around um I guess let's get let's get into the fight itself let's touch on that for a second first question and most important question was it a knockdown oh here we go I've been asked this so many times (laughs) (laughs) so actually from ringside every single person said not a knockdown it really didn't look like a knockdown it looked like a trip so at that moment we all went yeah that's fair enough not a knockdown watching it back slightly different you know it's a close one it's a really close one as I said from ringside we were all in agreement that it wasn't a knockdown it did look a little bit more like a knockdown watching it back um what was your take watching it you know because it's a knockdown (laughs) it is a knockdown she like the jab the jab jab makes her stumble and she goes down like what I, I understand that it's not like a textbook clean you know, like a hook and it sinks her. Like there's a stumble there, and like the because the feet kind of trip over each other. I do understand, but it is because of the jab, right? If yeah. you if if I I I don't understand really the argument to say oh it's it's just a fall. She didn't just like backpedal and fall. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I I think yeah. it's I think it's definitely a knockdown. But there you go. Um, Twitter, as you can imagine, was very uh, split. But, you know, I, I would say for the most part, a lot of fans thought that it was. I mean, I'm open to being corrected by the numerous people that will no doubt listen to this and tear me apart. But I definitely think 
knocked down. The fight quickly gathered some pace after that. It never slowed down. As you said before, it's an absolute war. You know, by round four, Cameron had a massive cut on her forehead. Yeah. There was blood everywhere. That came from a clash of heads on multiple occasions, something that Cameron actually spoke about before the fight, that she wanted to try and stay out the way of Katie's head because she has a tendency to lead with her head. Um, the ringside doctor had a look at it twice. He said that it was fine for them to continue, which I was delighted about because the last thing I wanted was mm. that fight to end because of something like a cut. I think Katie herself would have been furious with that, obviously, Chantel too but Katie wanted to make a statement um, and that wouldn't have been making a statement um, you know by round seven even the commentators Andy Lee said that it was fight of the year you had Darren Barker who was saying that it was one of the best matchups he's ever seen so you know the hype was there for it certainly with this obviously Taylor becomes two division undisputed which is outrageous in any kind of walk of life that is Boxing at its absolute pinnacle, legendary status, will be talked about until the end of time, basically, for women's boxing. Is she the greatest now? A hundred percent. I completely and utterly think so. I think she's the greatest not only because of what she's achieved, but what she's done for the sport as a whole. Um, I think her work inside and outside the ring cements her status as the greatest. You know, she's become just the second boxer in history, male or female, to hold all four major titles in boxing simultaneously in two weight classes in the four belt era. That is sensational. You know, obviously the debate is there with Clarissa Shields. She was the first to achieve the feat um, back in 2021. But I just think that the way Katie's journey is something that really adds legs to her story and her legacy. You know, that text message she sent Eddie Hearn, yeah. the way that she said that she wanted to transform professional boxing the way that she did with amateur boxing. The fact that she fought Amanda Serrano in front of a sold out crowd at Madison Square Garden. I think 1.5 million people tuned in to watching that. Um, she sold out arenas almost all over the world now sort of thing. So I think she's really managed to excel female boxing and she should always be thanked um, for what she's done. I mean this is no disrespect to anyone that came before Katie Taylor, but I would argue a large section of boxing fans would struggle to name three top female British boxers. And now, since Katie Taylor's arrived on the scene and what she's achieved, there is a, a handful, right? You'd, you you could name five very easily. And you're like the Caroline Dubois and people like that who are coming up, let alone Natasha Jonas and people like that who have, of course, got world title glory themselves. Like, there are several. Chantel Cameron among those as well. Um, you know, again, and I think Katie Taylor, although not directly responsible for their success, but she's helped get the spotlight and eyes on them to showcase them. Yeah, well, you've got to think even Eddie Hearn, when Katie first approached him, he's outwardly said that beforehand he was thinking, oh, we don't really do female boxing or female boxing doesn't have the legs to mm. support it in the way that I would need to support it. He's openly said that, that before Katie Taylor, it wasn't his cup of tea as such. So the fact that she's able to well, manage to get Eddie Hearn on board and then amass these crowds, get these viewing figures, break attendance records is something. And as you said, she's now kind of forged the way and created the path for the up and coming stars like Caroline Dubois to now kind of take on the baton when she uh, 
eventually hangs up her gloves. But she's not going to be hanging up her gloves anytime soon. She's already said that she wants a trilogy yeah. with Chantal Cameron. And she said it immediately after the fight. And it's definitely one I'd watch. I do feel a little bit sorry for Chantal Cameron. You know, she climbed the mountain that maybe no one thought she or anyone could in Katie Taylor. Um, and of course, in the very next fight, it's, she'll, she will feel like it's all been taken away. You did speak to her last week. You caught up with her before the fight. Anyone who wants to see that can catch it on our Male Sport Boxing YouTube channel. What did you take away from your chat with Chantel? Yeah, look, I really like Chantel and I really respect her. What she achieved against uh, Katie Taylor in that first fight was sensational. She'll always be remembered for that. Now, it's quite interesting with Chantel because she really struggles with self-doubt. Um, it was something that she struggled with massively in the build-up to the first fight, but she works with a psychologist um, to try and help her, you know, believe in herself as such. Um, and Jamie Moore, her trainer, had said before that she struggles with if she's sparring and she doesn't perform to her best, she'll come out of the ring and she'll really question herself. Um, but she said that in the build-up to the first fight that she went into the ring kind of really believing um, that she could do the job against Katie Taylor. And she said that she thrives when she's the underdog and people underestimate her. And you could see that in fight week. You could see that in the ring. So I wonder how that played a part in the second fight when she went into the fight as the favourite. Now, she said that she was keeping that underdog mentality, but can you really keep the underdog mentality when you've beaten Katie Taylor and everyone's expecting you to beat her again? I'd beat her in her own backyard as well, by the way. It's not just you'd beat her. You, you know, it's an, that's an incredible feat to accomplish. Um, Chantel, uh, she, she's such a juggernaut, I think, the way she boxes. I just love the way she just constantly comes forward, ready for war, all action, um, high engine, the exact kind of boxer that I really enjoy to watch. I mean, did she speak to you a little bit about how she spars with men? Yeah, uh, honestly, I find it amazing. So she, in preparation for Katie Taylor, in preparation for her other fights, she always gets in the ring with men. She says that it's the best form of practice that she can have, that ultimately then when she steps into the ring on fight night she feels like she's already had the harder rounds under her belt and that fight night's almost a little bit easier which I understand because men typically as much as people hate to say it but men are faster they're stronger they're fitter it's just naturally that way that if you can hold your own against a man um you're going to be in a better position for when you fight somebody um like a woman that you're going toe-to-toe -to -toe with. So, yeah, she did a lot of sparring with men. She said she got beaten up a lot, um, but got some good rounds under her belt. And, you know, Katie Taylor herself has sparred with men. She, you know, grew up pretending to be a man as a little girl because that was the only way she could get into the boxing gym. So they both used that to the best of their ability. But I think um, Chantel used it more within, uh, within the build-up to Katie Taylor. Well, I can tell you something. I won't be volunteering. <laughs> I'll tell you that for nothing. You can keep that <laughs> to yourself. Uh, up next, John Fury is going to be joining the show, talking about Tyson Fury and his performance against Francis Ngannou. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. 
Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Mailsport reporter Oli Gant was the man to catch up with John Fury in the wake of Tyson's victory over Francis Ngannou in Saudi Arabia that... Many, including Tyson, would consider disappointing. None seem more disappointed than John in this exclusive chat with Male Sport, who really has some eye-opening comments on his own son's performance and what he will need to do against Olazander Usyk in the upcoming undisputed heavyweight title fight. Tyson will change everything up for this. He'll have the eye of the tiger back. He'll need to. You'll need to change everything round. You'll need to do everything different. You'll have to gain some solid muscle and put some work in. And crack his balls working. And when he does that, Yusek's got a problem. Because he won't be facing this negative Tyson, what you said two weeks ago. You know, he's going to be on it. Because he knows he has to be. And you know what? I'm going to say it first. Whoever puts the best camp in, and does the work, and who needs it the most will get it and deserve it. If Usyk puts a better camp in than Tyson, he works his ass off, he gets everything right, guess what? The better man will win. So there you go. It's up to both guys what they want out of this. Tyson knows he's got to change everything. 380-degree turnaround. And if he's not prepared to do that, well, good luck to Usyk. But Tyson, knowing who he is, he's my son. Even though I don't have nothing to do with his training camps, or nothing people think I do, but I don't. You know, I don't have anything to do with it. Nothing. I should do. He'd probably be better off. But they don't listen to daddy. But I know what's going to, what, what, what you got to do for this one. You've got to work and crack your nuts in that gym and go down a different road completely and be as tricky and as clever as the man in front of you. Do you think he will take it very, very seriously? I mean, he talked about kind of not really caring about Undisputed, but for this fight, will he will he go for it 100%? He don't care about Undisputed. That's what he said to us um, the other day. Well, if he doesn't care about Undisputed, you know, why is he fighting then? For the money? That's not Tyson. He'll care. And if he doesn't, good luck to Usyk. If he doesn't, he comes in with an attitude, he's not bothered. Well, good luck to Usyk, isn't it? You know, because I'm one of them. If he gets beat, I'll say he gets beat. But let me tell you, once Tyson's head's on, Usyk's not the man to do it. Very interesting comments from John there, Charlotte. Uh, he, he seems to be very critical of where Tyson is at or has been in this space of training for Ngannou slash Usyk. It was all meant to be kind of one swift thing into another. They've had to recalibrate. And now we'll be taking on Usyk in February instead of 
December 23rd, which of course is now the AJ and Wilder card. He doesn't seem to be pulling any punches in what Tyson needs to do. It's not really about anything stylistically, is it? He's questioning if Tyson's got his head on, if he really is focused. Is he dedicated when it comes to taking on a man like Alexander Usyk? Who, by the way, if anybody knows anything about that man's training methods, he is a man who is switched on. He is a man who lives and breathes what he's doing. John Fury certainly has a way with words. That's, <laughs> that's absolutely for sure. He is right, though. I mean, if you cut back all the theatrics that go with what he's saying, he's ultimately saying it comes down to whoever prepares more and whoever wants it more. Now, in our last podcast, we spoke about how it's going to be minor details between the two of them that will win this fight. And the fact that, you know, people aren't going to be betting their house on it, that it's really hard to call. So, of course, it's going to come down to his training camp. And, you know, this isn't the first time we've heard John Fury criticise Tyson's training camp and saying that he should be involved and he should be there. He called um, Sh- uh, Sugar Hill Steward a snake before and had criticisms of Tyson's camp saying that the people close to him weren't getting the best out of him and, you know, weren't providing him with what he needs. So it's an interesting take, that's for sure. Whether John should be in camp, that's a whole different debate. Um, but ultimately, it does come down to the preparation and Tyson has to be 100% focused. He can't be having Netflix shows and other commitments during this camp. It has to be purely focused on the boxing, on the training, on the SNC. He's got a good team around him, you know. Um, yeah, it, it ultimately comes down to that. Should he be involved, though? I mean, I, I my instinct is there's a good reason why he isn't. Like, he's come this far in his career, Tyson, who hasn't actually been afraid to change trainers when he feels like he needs to. Um, And his dad kind of wasn't involved at a long stretch of his career because he was going to America for his fights and his dad couldn't go. But in terms of training camps, his dad has kind of been on the periphery. Now, he's much more involved with Tommy, and I don't think that's an amazing reflection of John, if that's anything to go by, that... Tommy's career is essentially just a bit better than influencers at this point. Um, don't get me wrong, he's young, great body, has basic fundamentals where he could go on and be something given time and the right fights. But I'm just saying right now, if your argument is he's more involved with Tommy, therefore he should be involved with Tyson, I think that's a very, very flawed one. Um, would you, you know, do you... Or, I guess what John is trying to say is that he knows his son better. We're not here trying to say that John will help Tyson work on his combinations and footwork and stuff like that. That's not something he needs. Would John be beneficial to a camp because he knows what makes Tyson tick, who is a very difficult personality at the best of times? Is John got some worth in that department? Ultimately, yes, John does know Tyson incredibly well of course he does it's his son but then so do the people that have been around Tyson for years like take Christian Blacklock who is Tyson Fury's SNC coach he's been with him since I think it's 2015 he's got the same people that know how to make him tick like I've spoken to Christian a lot before and he was saying he knows exactly what Tyson needs when he needs it how to look after him how to get him in the right frame of mind you know he typically has the same people in camp with him I think with Tyson He's quite an energetic character as it is. And we know that 
the way that his mind kind of works. And the last thing you need is another energetic character like John kind of hyping him up and riling him up like that. I think he needs those people like Christian and the others around him to keep him centered, keep him focused on the job at hand rather than potentially John, you know, throwing medicine balls into his chest to try and make his abs stronger and things like that. I think the way that Tyson sets up his camps works for him. And at the moment, I don't see John fitting into that. Oh, you think he's too domineering? It's a hard one because you're not in camp and you don't actually see what goes on behind the scenes. But from the outset and what you see on social media, I think it could be the case of, yeah, that he would be too domineering and probably rule with an iron fist sort of thing. Yeah, we've seen um, John as well. He has some choice words, not only about Tyson and his preparation, but also Eddie Hearn. Here's what he had to say. Eddie Hearn doesn't know anything about boxing, not one thing. His father was a snooker player manager and a darts manager, and he was a car salesman. So what he says is irrelevant. And AJ, they wouldn't. AJ would never fight anybody remotely like Ngannou or Wilder. Or Wilder. They will not do that because you know what? They can't because there's one place to get in. He's on the floor and staying there. <laughs> These guys get up. Wilder will get up under under pressure. Tyson gets up. You've, you've got to kill him to keep him there. But guess what? AJ doesn't possess that. And they know that. They know that. He gets it, he stays it, and he'll settle for second best. So forget him ever going in the ring with Nganu's, Wilders, or anybody. And I'll challenge them to say them fights will never happen. They only want to fight people they can beat and then line him up for a multi-million dollar payday. But guess what? We're all over it like a rush. Well, I am anyway. You've got to earn your stripes. If he wants to fight for Tyson's title, and when he wins, not if, when he wins these belts, he has got to do some serious competing to get to that spot. He has to fight Wilder to become worthy of challenging for all them belts. Looks like AJ Wilder might happen next should they both come through their fight. So never we'll happen. Yeah, AJ is never going to fight Wilder. But he's going to have to do if he wants to get to the Gypsy King because Tyson will go to some other worthy contender. He's had enough fights at the Cherry. But only comment on stuff when you understand it. And they clearly don't. And they like talking smack only because it's not them. Do you think if Tyson was his man, he'd be talking like that? And all his others, I've said it before, about all these British pundits, experts... The green-eyed monster called jealousy has gripped them and it's gripped the soul like a vice and they can't get out of it. Poor Ollie Gant there trying to get a word in. <laughs> John Fury said, let me cut you off there, son. Um, I mean, listen, I'm, I might shock you here. I actually agree with a lot that John Fury had to say there. I do agree. Um, I Go think, on, well, I think that he's got a right to think that Anthony Joshua's people are delicately matchmaking him and they are ticking him over where they are trying to get to a point where the Tyson Fury fight can happen. And that's basically just keeping AJ busy and keeping him out of the most dangerous fights until Tyson Fury and Usyk is settled and he could then step into the ring with uh, Fury for what would be the most lucrative fight in boxing, arguably. Now, 
I don't. I've said this before. I think AJ would fight Wilder. I think AJ would fight Ngannou. I, I, I'm not going to ever sit here and suggest that AJ is scared of anybody or wouldn't like the challenge. I think he actually relishes the challenge. But I also think that Hearn, having seen two back-to-back losses and some uninspired performances, is trying to protect his by far most valuable asset for DAZN and Matchroom. So, um, you know, Hearn talks about we've reached out to Ngannou and Wilder and... You know, we, I, I don't not believe him. I'm not saying that these talks don't happen, but I think there's a reason that the fights don't happen. And, you know, you have to look at Matchroom at some point with the way AJ's been matched since coming back. I thought the Dillian White fight was a great match for him. Winnable, you know, it could have gone either way, but winnable, certainly on paper, good name for him. It would have been a great launch pad to then the next step. But thus far, we've got Jermaine Franklin and Robert Hellenius. Like, just frankly, on paper, that's not good enough when you're a two-time world champion. Okay, great. Have a comeback fight. Get the feet underneath you. This one should have been wilder. There's nobody that could have told me that this should not have been wilder. There's no good reason why it shouldn't be wilder. And I know that you're going to sit here and go, yeah, the IBF. But that is still not what the fans want to see or what will draw money at this stage. That's the only way I'm looking at it from. And John does have a point when he says... Okay, well, you got. To, he really should have to fight Wilder before he gets to Fury. And I think he will. Like, I, I don't think when John's going, it's never going to happen. It's never going to happen. I don't believe that for a second. It is going to happen, and I think it's going to happen because Saudi are putting up the money to make it. Yes, happen. that Whereas that will beforehand. be the de- defining factor. Exactly, yes. that money hadn't been there before, so it wasn't in his best interest to go and face somebody like Wilder that could have a devastating repercussion if it doesn't go well. Whereas the money is there now, and it. But Saudi it are putting the money happen. up now. Like, the, this, this is my argument. Like, why are they not fighting on the 23rd then? <sighs> <laughs> there it is. There it is. But I, I can go down that route again. But I think it is <laughs> genuinely because of the title. He wants that IBF title. And I think that is his route to it. Um, but, hey, I also think that, you know, Wilder made a good point that him and him and AJ is one hell of a fight and a spectacle. And considering the fact that December 23rd was originally meant to be Fury and Usyk, and it very quickly got changed to this sensational December 23rd card, the build-up, there wasn't enough time, or so mm. they say, wasn't enough time to really give the fight the promotion that it deserves, um, that they didn't want to just fly into AJ and Wilder. They wanted to build that fight up properly, hence them fighting different people on the same card. Fans aren't going to like it. I get that. And I agree with that because I want to see AJ Wilder. But I think John Fury is wrong to say that it's not going to happen because I fully believe it will happen. Yeah. For, the, for like once in the last five years, I actually believe it's going to happen. This time. <laughs> I mean, that's a very good I mean, again, I, I hope and I, I want it to happen, as I've said. Uh, I think I believe I said it as recently as last week. Um, but as we've come to learn, whether it's going to happen next, which is probably the key term, um, we've all learnt to hesitate. We've all learnt to second guess exactly when that's going to happen. But here's to hoping, because I do believe that everybody wants it. (laughs) So that's the best I can offer on that one. Uh, That is a fight that would be coming up. Charlotte, what more can we look forward to coming up? What are we going to see your face plastered all over Mailsport Boxing's YouTube channel alongside? 
Oh, God. Um, well, we actually have some exclusive interviews coming up. We'll be talking to Natasha Jonas and Michaela Mayer tomorrow um, ahead of their upcoming fight. Um, so that'll be an interesting one. Um, we have lots more in the pipeline. So you'll have to stay tuned on our Mel Sport Boxing YouTube channel to see what we've got in store. A couple of good, exciting fights coming along. Devin Haney is going to be in action in the coming weeks. Ryan Garcia is out this weekend. Um, we've also got Jake Paul fighting an actual boxer in December. Um, so there's plenty of stuff to get stuck into before we get to the big one on December 23rd. And you can believe we'll be across all of those fights, interviews with the fighters planned and coming, and you can catch them online. You can read them there. You can listen here and you can watch on YouTube. We've got you covered on all bases. Well, that is all from us today. We are sponsored by Paddy Power. Please remember to download the Mail Plus app for lots of extra content and check out Mail Online for all the latest breaking news stories. For full interviews and features with stars from the fighting world, head to Mail Sport Boxing YouTube channel. And for the clips, make sure you go to our social channels. Most of all, don't forget to rate and review us on whatever platform you get your podcasts from and come back next and every Tuesday. I'm Alex McCarthy. And I'm Charlotte Daly. And this is The Hook. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.